Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this new day, first day of the week, resurrection morning. We thank you that on that day long ago, Jesus rose from the dead and proclaimed victory over sin and death and hell and the grave. And because he lives, we live also. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to look into your word. We pray that you bless this uh, activity, Lord, because without you, uh, we don't learn. And so we pray that by the Spirit, we might have eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, a will to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 12. And uh, the last time, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at the first two verses. And uh, just by way of, uh, we're going to read first, uh, uh, I'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll just uh, go back and, and uh, rehearse a couple of the points there before we go on. <clears throat> Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Uh, once again, in the book of Romans, there's a call to... Uh, Offer your, yourself to God. And uh, this is the second call. The first one is found back in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> These two verses are paired together because of their very similar language. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 <clears throat> says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Come on in, Ken. We're just starting. So, in response to what the Lord has done for me in saving my soul, in response to the salvation the Lord has given me, these are two verses which describe the response that we, we give to God. And there, there, are, two, there are differences in, in these two verses. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, what are we committing to? Good morning. Good morning. What, what are we committing to in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13? Yes. We're, we're committing ourselves to God as what? As those who have been brought from, from death to life. Yes. As instruments of righteousness. Instruments of righteousness. Thank you, Linda. Okay. So the idea there is that we're committing to righteousness. We're committing to righteousness. And that is the theme of Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8. The idea is, since the Lord has died for you to make you righteous, uh, now get, on the pro get with the program, move on with the Lord, and you commit to righteousness as well. And you and the Lord will move together on a path of righteousness. And uh, that's, what, that's what Romans 6 is all about. It's a commitment to righteousness. And so that, hap uh, that happened in our discussions a few months ago. And uh, we're all committed to righteousness now because we've gone through Romans chapter 6. And then you get to Romans chapter 12, and he's asking you to make a, another commitment. And I believe that both of them are part of the baptismal commitment. We should be emphasizing both of these things to baptismal ca candidates. When you, get, when you get baptized, you're committing to righteousness. But in Romans chapter 12, you're committing to something else as well. And what is that? What is, what is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, telling us to commit to? Read that verse and tell me what the commitment is all about. Yet, once again, we're offering our bodies. And that's what we do when we get baptized, right? It's a... It's a body thing. You're, you're, you're committing your body to the grave. In other words, my body is not meant to be lived for me anymore. It's being, it's being given away. It's being, 
I'm giving up the, the right to live as I please, to live my own life, to live according to the, that the old sinful nature, and, and so that I might live for God. And in Romans 6 and 13, the, the, the particular aspect of living for God is this, it's righteousness. But in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he makes another emphasis, a different emphasis, and what is it? Hmm? It's service, exactly. Service to work. Your spiritual service of worship or your act of worship. And so, uh, not only do I, do I aim at righteousness, but I aim at serving the Lord. And this service is all about loving God and doing His will and, and being an instrument, not just of righteousness in this world, but an instrument of loving kindness, an instrument of, worse, of mercy, an instrument of grace, it's about serving God. And, and the rest of the, of the book of Romans, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, is all about Christian service. It's your act of worship. This is how you serve the Lord. You see, if somebody just aims at righteousness and doesn't aim at love, what does that look like? What does it look like? A person who says, well, I'm just going to be righteous, but I'm, I'm not going to be loving. Does it look attractive? Does it look like Jesus? No. You can be full of yourself, right? It can be a, it can be a point of pride. And there's no sense of this loving kindness being poured out to others. See? And so in Romans 6, the job is only half done. We haven't gotten to the whole, the whole picture yet. Romans 6 is, is important. It's about committing to righteousness. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be holy. But righteousness in the word of God is never an end in itself. Righteousness is never an end in itself. Because righteousness without love is cold. It's cold. It is, it is without the grace of God. It is, it is austere, it is, it is not attractive. But when you add righteousness and love, now you've got something. And God's love is always righteous. He, he, he doesn't say love without righteousness. That's, that's not what God wants. <clears throat> but he wants righteousness first, but righteousness and love. And he wants us to be uh, servants of, of God doing his, his will from, from our hearts. And so... These last uh, verses of, of Romans, these last chapters of Romans, is all about, is all about how to exercise our, our, our acts of worship in loving and kind and pleasing ways to God. Any questions about that? All right. Righteousness without love leads to form, uh, formalism. It leads to cold orthodoxy. It leads to people who are pretty high on themselves, they're just parading their righteousness. But when you add the, the ingredient of love, now you've got the full picture. You could add to that that also leads to legalism. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just people who are righteous without being loving. It's like a parent who parents according to the law but never shows love to the children. It's the worst kind of parenting to be a, to be a person of law without a being a person of love. And so uh, God is not like that. And, and righteousness is never an end in itself. Righteousness is a means to an end. Righteousness helps us to be holy lovers. That's what it is. Not ungodly lovers, but holy lovers. And that's the full picture of our God because God's, God is love. And so it says in verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. In order for us to be godly lovers, we need to have our minds changed because the world is not into loving kindness. The world tells us, that the most important person in life is who? Me. Me. That's the, that's the world, all right? You live for yourself. You, you got to do it yourself. Just 
Get it for yourself, you see. And, and we, we uh, idolize the self-made man, the self-made person who, who is successful and, and has, has been able to uh, uh, build an empire. And, and, it, and it's all about self-gratification. It's all about self-adulation. And uh, so that's what the world teaches us to do. But the Bible says, now you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And uh, uh, when, when, you're, when you're transformed, it's about loving God first and loving others next. And that's going to be the theme for the next number of chapters. And then it says, then you'll be able to understand what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Because God's will for us is to be servants of God. God's will for us is to emulate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so God's will is going to be laid out for us in the next verses. So let's go on. I wonder if somebody could read verse 3 to verse 8. We're going to talk about the gifts here. Somebody read verse 3 to verse 8, please. Okay, thank you. So we're going to get into uh, how God equips us so that we can be good lovers. He equips us so that we can be people who are, are able to, to serve God. And, and he starts talking about gifts. But before he talks about the gifts in verse 3, he warns us about something. So what is the warning in verse 3? Yeah. You see, what is the most, what is the person who stands in the way, who most stands in the way of me and, and, and me serving the Lord? It's me. <laughs> see? And, 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 and so if I think highly of myself, if I think highly of myself, what will be some of the problems that I face when it comes to this area of Giftedness. Pride will get in the way. For for me, it's for my benefit. Selfishness gets in the way. And I believe even the even the expression of a, of the gift that God gives you is 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 corrupted by your pride because. In or, we're going to see in a minute that it, it's only by faith that the, gifts of, uh, that the gifts of God are exercised. Only by faith. And if somebody's proud, what are they going to think? I, I could remember many years ago, one of the little girls who is now a, a, a lady in our assembly was sitting at a table right here, and we were having supper, and uh, she was two years old, and uh, she had this big fork, and she was trying to handle, handle a, a little piece of pie that was on her plate, and I, see, I saw that she was struggling. And, and, uh, and so I reached over, and I said to her, I, can I help you, dear? She says, no, I can do it myself. <laughs> and uh, I've seen all along in this, in this girl, you know, she's got a strong self-determination. And we say, well, that's good. But when it comes to gifts, if you're strongly determined to do it yourself, how is that going to stand in the way of spiritual giftedness? 
How's it, how's, it going to, how's it going to play out with spiritual giftedness? If I can do it myself, do I need the Holy Spirit's help? All right. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Jim Rennie was like that little girl. I can do it myself. I'm good. I've got, I've got abilities, and I can do it myself. And, and, and so, if, uh, if I think that way, then the, the, the Spirit of God cannot work through me. The, the Spirit of God cannot use me because I'm, I'm leaning on natural abilities and the things that the Spirit has to give me are not natural abilities. They are supernatural abilities. Gifts are supernatural abilities. They are ministries of the Holy Spirit. They're enablings not of the natural man. They're enablings of God. And so in order to receive them, I've got to get low and I've got to get humble and say, Lord, I need you. I cannot rely on myself. And here's the, here's the paradox. The stronger, stronger people are within themselves, the less likely they are to be used by the Holy Spirit. And the blessing doesn't flow. I had the occasion one day to meet Billy Graham personally. It was just an off chance, and, and uh, I met the man personally, just him and me. And uh, even in the few minutes that we spent together, I could tell this. He was a most humble man. I was a young buck, and he was this great preacher, and he could have dismissed me and said, uh, I don't need to talk to you because uh, you're a nobody and I'm, I'm the big somebody, right? But no, although he was much taller than me, he sort of stooped to, down to, to greet me, he was pretty tall guy, and, and, and he stooped down and he said, what's your name? And I says, Jim Rennie, I'm a missionary in, in, in Africa, and he says, God bless you. He says, I, I, I'm thankful to meet you, and he made me feel like I was somebody, right? He was a gracious man. He was a humble man, and I could tell right there, you see, that that was one of the, the reasons why God could so mightily use him because he was not a man of, who, who prided himself. He was not a man of arrogance or, or, or thought that he was higher than others. He was a very, very humble guy. We just had a brief conversation, but I could certainly pick that up in what he said. And so this is a key, see. You've got to get humble. If you're going to advance in the kingdom of God, you've got to get low before the Lord. And if you want to be, if you want to be aware of your spiritual giftedness, you've definitely got to be humbly saying, Lord, it's not me, it's you. Please use me. It's got to be, it's got to be the Lord. But, but an individual like that also limits themselves with what God can do for them. And then when something happens, they blame God for not looking after them. When they themselves didn't humble themselves with God. Absolutely right, Rose. You see, it... Pride gets in the way, doesn't it? We're thinking too much of ourselves and not enough of the Lord. So what does it mean when it says, do not think of yourself more highly than you, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you? That's an interesting thought. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about gifts. And this is the measure of faith God has given you. He doesn't, a few verses down, it says, according to the measure of grace God has given you. And I can figure that one out because grace is, is, is a gift that comes from God. And, and, and the gifts are all gifts of grace. And grace is the ability that God gives us to serve him. But before he says that, he says, according to the measure of faith God has given you. Yeah. See, faith, faith is something that needs to come out of our hearts. We, we, need, we need to 
exercise faith in God. And so the whole of the gospel is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so faith is an invitation for us to give God something and we give him that little teaspoon of faith that Rose is saying. We give him a little teaspoon of faith. So faith is a choice that we have to make, but faith is also a gift that God gives us. And this is, this is one of the verses that tells us that faith is a gift. Right? According to the measure of faith that God has given you, faith is a gift. And so sometimes the disciples would say to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. It says that in Luke chapter 17, verse 5. It says, Lord, increase our faith. That's a hard thing for, that you're calling us to do, Lord. Lord, increase our faith. Faith is a gift that God gives. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 17 and verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And this was in regard to how much we're supposed to forgive one another for, for, for uh, things that have been done against us. It says in verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If you repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, Lord, we don't have that much grace. Somebody sins against me seven times a day, I'm going to quit on him. Somebody comes and punches me in the nose at nine o'clock in the morning and then at 10 o'clock he punches me again and then at 11 he punches me again. By about four o'clock in the afternoon, I, I, I'm punching back. I'm punching back. And so, and so uh, that, that's when the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. This is hard to do, you see. This is, dude. Rose, I wouldn't, wa I wouldn't want to exasperate you, dear. <laughs> it's hard to do. And so what, what I require, what I require is more faith. Lord, my faith is weak here. I've got, I've got to have more faith. And that's the kind of attitude, you see, that God wants us to have when it comes to gifts. Gifts are just that. They don't come from ourselves. They come from the Lord. And we need to have a humble attitude and a faithful, a, a trusting attitude to say, Lord, please give me that gift. I need more. I need more grace. I need more help. Please help me here. And, and uh, faith is the, is, the, is the main engine in the, in the Christian life. It, uh, the just shall live by faith. So it's not just humility we, we require in order to exercise gifts, but it's faith as well. In verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. So, he gets into talking about the formation of the church here. Uh, the book of Romans is not a church book in the sense that, that it doesn't describe the, the, the working and the functioning of the church like some of the other books. Uh, can, you, can you think of other books that are more like church government books? What books would be like church government books, Tim? Titus, Titus would be a church government book. 1 Corinthians is a church government book. Ephesians, is, it talks about the church and the formation of the church and what it looks like. You don't find much of that in the book of Romans because the book of Romans is more about personal salvation. It's a personal salvation book. In fact, it's the premier personal salvation book. If you want to have, if you want to have text verses on the, on, on the, on the gospel and on the gospel of personal salvation, you look for them in the book of Romans. It's not about church and about church function and government. But here, he brings in the church because he doesn't leave it out. Right. And here the church is likened to what? The church is likened to a body. And how is that, in what way is, is the church like a body? 
we all need to work together because we are not the, each person is not the whole body. We are what? Yeah, but what, what, does, what, what does each individual believer then? They're, they're parts. In other words, uh, I'm, a, I'm a hand, or I'm a nose, or I'm an ear, or I'm a foot, or I'm one part of the body. And, and uh, uh, this is, this is uh, uh, describing how the body functions. Each of the parts of the body contributes to the whole. And... Uh, no one person should think that he or she is complete without the other members of the body. Every part, every person in the church has something to contribute to the body. And so we all need one another. We all do not function independently, but we, we function interdependently upon one another. We each exercise our giftedness and we contribute to the life of the body. Yeah. An apple, I don't, I don't belong to myself, but I belong to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful word, isn't it? Yes. We belong to one another. We're, we're connected, but we practice this, this sense of community to the extent that we don't belong just to ourselves. We belong to, to one another. And uh, so your giftedness belongs to me. We need each other. And my giftedness belongs to you. See, I have a gift of teaching here, and it's not for me. It's for you. <laughs> but, but I think that's, what, that's why it's stressed in the first part about faith. Because once you have faith in God, and you know God he came to sacrifice himself for the whole, then we, if we're living and he's walking in his footsteps, we are going to be willing to work and sacrifice ourselves for others instead of just individuals. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and you see, this fits in with this whole idea of our sacrifice of worship. It, it, when, we, when we make that commitment, it's not just commitment to God, it's commitment to one another. I make a commitment to love you. And I, my ministry belongs to you. And, and likewise, your gift and your ministry belongs to me. We function inter, interdependently, and we rely upon one another. We belong to one another. It's a great verse. Thank you, Lori. So the, the, the church is, is likened to, the, to a body, and we're all members. We're all parts of the body, and we all have something to contribute to the body. Exactly. That's what he says in verse 6. We have different gifts. Okay? We have different gifts. And he, and he enumerates them. Now, in, in Romans uh, uh, chapter 12, I want to point out something. That this, the gifts here are given by one of the persons of the Godhead. It says in verse uh, verse uh, 5, uh, or, or verse 3, right at the end of verse 3, according to the measure of faith, God has given you. All right? And then in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us by God. All right? Now, I take it, when God is mentioned without any of the other members of the Godhead, because we know that God is the Trinity, three, three and one, when God is mentioned without the others of the members of the Godhead being stipulated, we take it to be the Father. 
So I'm suggesting to you that the gifts are given by the Heavenly Father here. Now when you go to other listings of gifts in the Scripture, you will find a difference. Because in 1 Corinthians, let's just look at it at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6. Sorry, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the emphasis there is not on the Heavenly Father. The emphasis there is upon the third person of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. So, we can say this. The gifts are given by the Heavenly Father in, in Romans chapter 12. They are given by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12. But look at Ephesians, another listing of gifts. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7, it says, To each of, you, of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. And so, here we have the next member of the Trinity, the Son of God, Christ, and he's the giver of the gifts. So that's kind of fun, right? We have the Trinity mentioned in the giving of gifts. In, in Romans chapter 12, it's God, the Heavenly Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it's Jesus Christ himself was giving the gifts. In other words, all three are, are involved in giving us gifts. It's like three rich uncles giving us a wonderful Christmas present. You know, we're not just getting it from one, we're getting it from all three. And uh, I, I think that's just wonderful. All right, I just saw that a, a couple of weeks ago, and I enjoyed that so much. It's all three members of the, he, of, of, the, of the Trinity are giving us these gifts. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know, that thrills my soul when I see, the, when I see connections like that. Uh, 1 Corinthians, back to Romans chapter 12. And uh, let's look at, at these gifts. And by the way, you're, you're right, Leslie, we all have gifts. Every member of the church has a gift. He says that explicitly in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Each one of us, grace has been given by the Holy Spirit. So everyone has a gift. The question is whether you use it or not. Whether you know it and whether you use it. And so he describes seven gifts here. Now this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. It is just seven that he's picked out. And I believe that there are other gifts that, that, that can be uh, 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 used and other gifts that can be possessed than these particular ones. But I'm going to suggest to you that in Romans chapter 12, he is using these seven gifts more as motivational gifts. In other words, it, it's, it's what's in my heart to give. And, and there's seven different kind of motivations that, that come up in the hearts of Christians to be able to serve one another. And I call these, and other commentators have called these motivational gifts. There are seven kinds of motivations, and I'm going to go back to that in a minute, but let's just see what they are. The first one is, is the, the man's gift is prophecy. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. Are there prophets today? What do you think? No, not like in the Bible. We oh, might have uh, preachers that teaches God's word, but we don't have prophets. Okay, because what was what was the what was the mark of the office of a prophet? What did he do that was or she do that was different than anything else? Because they he was telling he, like he 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 was speaking on God told him. Okay. Well, isn't that what? Yeah, because he yeah. went and he spoke to the prophet, 
and then they in turn went and brought it to the people. Yeah. And, and the, so the, the prophets were involved in writing, like the Old Testament was all from prophets. And in the New Testament, it's the apostles and prophets. These people were all given new truth to communicate to the people. God was speaking directly to them. They were given new truth to communicate to the people. Is it true, then, that we're still getting new truth beyond the word of God today? Are we getting new truth? Is there, is there a book after the book of Revelation that still needs to be written? Everybody, everybody's going, no. <laughs> okay, the answer is no, you see. Because it says in the book of Revelation, if anyone adds to the prophecy of this book, God will add to them the plagues that are in this book. If anyone takes away from the prophecy of this book, God will, God will take him away uh, from, from the, the book of life. And so there's a strong warning against adding to the book, uh, uh, to the completed uh, book of God, to the, to the Bible. And so when it comes to getting new truth, there is no new truth. And so the, 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 that work of the prophets was, is not required any longer. So in a sense, we don't have the office of the prophet. We don't have the ministry of the prophet today. However, I'm going to suggest to you that God puts in the hearts of certain people a kind of prophetic giftedness in his people, and it's not about giving new truth. Because, because the, what, the real motivation that was in the hearts of the prophets was not just about giving new truth. It was about moral rightness. Every prophet that was raised up was raised up to answer a question of a moral problem. You think of Jonah, who was raised up to go to Nineveh. What, is he, what did he preach against? He preached judgment because of sin. What about Nathan when he went to confront David? Remember when Nathan went to King David after David had sinned? What, what, did, what did Nathan do? And this was his ministry as a prophet. What did he do? When he went into David. Did he say, David, you're, be, you're, just, you're being a great king. I'm really impressed with your work so far. Uh, is that what he said? Yeah. God is displeased with you. And he said, David, you're the man. You're the corrupting influence in the nation. You're the, you're the man. It's your sin. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that that's the motivation of a prophet. The motivation of a prophet is moral. And I'm going to suggest to you that in that sense, there are still people with a kind of prophetic gift. Not a, not a gift of... of uh, of uh, uh, bringing new truth. That's the, the Bible is a finished book. All right. But the gift of moral discernment. The gift of moral discernment. And I believe that there is still that aspect of prophecy, that aspect of the, of the, prophecy, the, the, the work of a prophet, that still remains today. So I wouldn't close the book on prophets. I would say... That, that, that there are still people whose motivation is holiness. And they have such a keen spirit and a keen eye on moral rightness. Now, does, it, does that make these people very popular? <laughs> no. In fact, they stoned the prophets in the Old Testament. Prophets are not very popular people, but you know what? We need prophets. They tell you the truth that you don't want to hear. That, that's right. And if ever the church needed this kind of ministry, it's today. Because the church has gotten into such terrible habits of sin. Okay. 
There was a, uh, uh, some of you know about the pastor of the meeting house who, who last year and the last year was uh, uh, set aside because he had moral problems. Okay. He, for, for a number of years before that, there was one man who in his blog on the internet was coming at this pastor. And people were saying, oh, he's a nasty man because he's calling out this pastor for this and that. He's a nasty man. And then at the end of the day, guess what? It proved to be right. It proved to be right. And he was saying, there's a problem here. There's a problem with this, this particular pastor. He's, he, he, he's not right. There's some of the things he's saying, some of the things he's doing that are not right. And he kept on saying, he kept on saying it. And people were not happy with, with, the, with his, his, uh, his blogs. You know what? I think he was a prophet. I think he was a prophet. I think God put it in his heart a kind of moral barometer that things weren't right and he was speaking out and everyone thought he was such a bad man and he was very unpopular but at the end of the day he was right. He was right. And that church needed to be purged of that particular sin in the heart of the pastor and they needed a prophet to tell them what it was. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And this is why prophets are unpopular, because they, they have the courage to stand up and say, there's something wrong here. <laughs> there's something wrong here. Nathan wasn't popular when he went to David and said, David, you're the sinner. So at any rate, I'm going to suggest to you that there's still a motivational gift here that might still be active today. And, and that's my thought, all right? We know that, we know that nobody's bringing new truth. The, the Bible is a completed text, you see. So that's not what we're talking about. But the motivation for moral purity is something that may still be uh, active today. Let's look at some of the other, uh, uh, some of the other uh, gifts here. Look, what, what's, what does it say? If, if it is serving, let him serve. So what's the idea of service? Just volunteering, getting your hands dirty, you know, getting your feet wet, getting down and, and, and doing the job, right? That's, that's serving one another. What about, uh, what about uh, teaching? All right, yeah. Sunday school teachers, doesn't necessarily have to be a pulpit ministry or anything like that, all right? Teaching, uh, bring able, being able to break down the Word of God into small bits and bites so that people can properly understand it. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. What, what is the gift of an encourager? They lift people up. Yeah. You, you see, it's not just teaching. Encouraging is people who have that personal touch who can, who can actually uh, lift you up. They give you a word. Uh, to, a, a word to the weary, someone to, to lift them up and someone to get them going. Encouragement. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. Giving is a gift. Now, we're all, we're all encouraged to give, but some people, and I know some people at Oak Ridge who have this gift of giving, some people just give in huge abundance. And they know how to give. They don't give to spoil people. They don't give for show. They just know how to give. And, and so that's their gift. If it is leadership, let them govern diligently. Once again, uh, I know folks at Oak Ridge who have this gift. All right? we've, got, we've got gifts of leadership here. People who know how to organize things, know how to put things together, know how to make all the parts function as a whole. 
That is the gift of government or leadership. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Here's another gift that's sometimes overlooked. Just the gift of mercy. That's a gift. What are some of the... What, what's, what would be some of the attributes of someone who had the gift of mercy? They'd be compassionate. Yeah. They'd be not judgmental. They'd be kind. Yeah. Loving. Willing to share concern. Just soft hearts, right? Just, just tender hearts. And that's a gift. It's a gift from above. It's not just, these are, this is not just sentimentality. This is not just people who, who are sentimental. This is people who have been given a spiritual gift to actually be soft with people. I have to pray for this gift a lot because sometimes my bedside, my bedside manner isn't that great, you see. I, you know, just, sometimes I'm tempted to say, suck it up, buttercup, you know, just get better. <laughs> I've given you the medicine, now get better. <laughs> that's right. You understand that? <laughs> but you see, the gift of mercy is a gift of, of softness. It's a gift of gentleness. And, and uh, uh, in Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 18, David says of the Lord, your gentleness has made me great. You've treated me with gentleness, and that was a blessing to me. That's what David says of the Lord. So our God is... Yeah, our, Unconditional, yes. Just, just tenderness. Being tender. That's why he says you will always pray to ask God um, to give you a uh, renew your spirit daily because you never know who you're going to run into and might need your help or yep. assistance or whatever. So you ask him to give you the strength of the day to you know, be kind to someone or show compassion. So just for the last couple of minutes, I am going, to, I'm going to, to say that there's somebody sick in the hospital and we've been called to go to the hospital to minister to this person. And I'm going to ask you what each of the gifts would look like. All right? If you were exercising your spiritual giftedness when you go and you visit this uh, sick person in the hospital, a sick neighbor, a sick brother or sister in the hospital, what would it look like if you had the gift of mercy? What would you say if you had the gift of mercy? Oh, well, he, well, my friend was sick the other day, so when I went and visited her, my gift was I prayed. I asked if I could pray. I read a Bible verse, you know, and encouraged the family, you know, going through a hard time. So okay. That was if you had the gift of mercy, you would have lectured on them and, and uh, tell them what they should have been doing. Or yeah. So what would, what would be some of the words you would use if you had the gift of mercy? If you had the gift of mercy, what, would you use, what words would you use? You're going through a rough time. Oh, now you're getting into another gift. You see? How about, I, I feel so bad that you feel bad. I, I feel your pain, see. I'm sorry that you're in this stress, you see. Someone with a gift of mercy would feel that sorrow that the other person feels. And they, would, they might shed a tear for them. They might say, yeah, I'm, really, I'm really feeling it for you, see. That's the gift of mercy. What about the gift of, what about the gift of leadership or government? The gift of leadership. What? If someone had the gift of leadership, what would they do if they were visiting somebody in the hospital? The gift of government or the gift of leadership. This person has some needs, see? So somebody who had the gift of leadership might go in and say, listen, uh, I know there's still the issues that with your business at home. Maybe he's a farmer. Listen, I'm going to make sure there's a rota of people who go and, 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 and do your lawns. I'm going to make sure that people come and give you a meal uh, at, at set times. I'm going to organize that for you. 
Because the leadership has organi the gift of leadership has organizational skill. So let's get an organizer in there to help that person who's sick. What about the gift of giving? How would the gift of giving play out if somebody visited someone in the hospital? You just give your financial need. So you, give, you open up your pocketbook and you give to the financial need of that person. What about the gift of encouragement? What would that look like if you went in to visit somebody in the hospital? Because you were encouraging, Rose, you see. <laughs> what would you say? God's going God's gonna to make you better and, and the Lord's going to lift you up and you give them hopeful words, you give them encouraging words. That's what the gift of encouragement looks like. What about the gift of service? What would the gift of service look like if you went in to visit that person in the hospital? You bring them food. You take them to the bathroom. You see, that's what the gift of service would look like. What would the gift of prophecy look like? What would the gift of prophecy look like? If somebody, let's say, it had an accident or somebody was in the hospital. Now, this is, this is the gift of prophecy. You'd say, brother, sister, is there some sin in your life that the Lord needs to correct? <laughs> Has this happened to you for a purpose? Do you know that God does nothing just by... Just, is there something you need to get right with the Lord? Let's pray about it, you see. Now, that, you see, that's how the gifts all function. You know how the prophet... They're, they're, once again, they're not very popular, but sometimes they're needed. Anyway, our time is gone. We're going to continue this next week. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the, these gifts that you've given to the church and how we all need them. We all function together as one body. Help us not to be proud, but rather humble. Help us, Lord, to be trusting you for the, the spiritual ability to exercise these gifts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.